I'm Audrey Bellis. And I'm Yvette Montoya. And you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon and Español. We tell stories about femme leaders and activists of color, making our world a better place. Let's get started. We are here today with Bricia Lopez. Bricia, having been born and raised in Mitla, Oaxaca, rich in culinary tradition and indigenous food culture, uh, comes from a long line of Oaxacan mezcal craftsmen. She grew up in her grandmother's kitchen, where alongside her mother and sisters lived the traditions of mole and true artisanal cooking. Her father founded Gelagueta in 1994, a Oaxacan restaurant that has become a temple to Oaxacan food and tradition in Los Angeles and the U.S. She began working alongside her family in the restaurant business at a very young age. She's a graduate from Mount St. Mary's College, who we love, and not just because they're commissioned for the Status of Women event that they do every year, but Bricia majored in business administration. She's currently a partner at the restaurant and today spearheads all operations along with her three siblings. Bricia, welcome. Welcome. Oh, hi. That was, I hope I didn't, you know, it's a long bio they sent over. (laughs) I just hope I didn't mispronounce anything. (laughs) No, you're fine. You're good. They say my Spanish is a little pocha, but... You know, I don't even know what that means. You know, it's because you're not Mexican. It's a mouthful. You know what I mean? Like it's, you do well. Yeah, even so, pocha is Spanish is like, it's not a first language to you, or it sounds like, you know, when my sister tries to speak Spanish and she's like, abuelita panchita. So gringa status. Gringa status, mm. yeah. <laughs> like, the first time we went to your restaurant, I went with my mom. So you've been to my restaurant. I have been to oh, your restaurant. Oh, I'm so happy. And your guys' mole is literally like my grandmother's. And I don't think Thank we've you. ever been anywhere else and said that. And my mom's kind of obsessed with it. And so she's not here today, but I told her we were going to meet you. And oh, she told you. me this big fangirl moment. She was like, oh, mija, de veras? You're going to meet with her? Are you sure? From the restaurant. You're sure. And I was like... Yes, mom. And she completely fangirled you from afar. So now you know you have Thank fans. You. you know what's so funny? Usually it's moms who it is. fangirl me for some reason. They well, appreciate the hustle. It's it's not just the hustle. It's the tradition. So one of the things that I love about your restaurant is that you guys embrace and honor tradition and family mm-hmm. through the restaurant and through your food. Whereas, you know, sometimes... We see people that don't always embrace the Latino roots so deep. For example, like, you know, my dad's American. My mom married a white guy. And growing up, I used to love banda. And I'd be like, mom. And I would play it. And she'd be like, mija, we're not that Mexican. Kill the banda. (laughs) The neighbors are going to hear you and they're going to know. Like, it's too much. They're going to call the cops on us. Yeah, they're going to think we're ghetto. They're going to think we're having, like, a backyard conjunto right now. (laughs) (laughs) I went through a really big phase. I love conjunto. Uno, dos, tres. Sí. Uno, dos, sí. Dos, yeah. (laughs) No. Probando uno, dos. Oh my gosh, yes. But I'd love for you to tell us about that and how you guys keep those traditions alive through the restaurant because I feel like women are the keepers of traditions, right? And that's Mm -hmm. such a feminist action to be able to do that. And you do it not just uh, socially through food as an experience, but as, as a feminist in your family, in the restaurant every day. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I I think you're right. You know, women really are the keepers to tradition. And, you know, uh, I grew up in Oaxaca. I was born and raised there. I moved here to LA when I was 10 years old, nine years old. And, 
You know, I, I think there's a lot to say about Mexican culture because it's very macho, you know, macho oriented. I mean, our, my dad is probably the most macho man you'll ever meet. I mean, like traditional Mexican from Oaxaca, you know, just like um, everything you can think of the stereotypes. But I grew up and I always knew that my mom was really the person who held it together for the family. Yeah, right. And I have a kid, so I don't know if you guys even remember watching The Bug's Life. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, was that I'm, the first Disney Pixar movie? I no, it was think. Toy Story. Oh, I take it back. <laughs> well, But it was up there because I remember being yeah. in the movie theater being like, oh my goodness. I think it was like the follow-up to it and people were like, bugs. Right? And it was like, oh my God. Well, They're real. I just started, I, show, I just introduced the movie to my son, so I've been watching it a lot in my home. And there's this one scene... When the grasshoppers are coming back to get the food from all the ants, right? And um, the ants have ployed, so the grasshoppers can they scare them away, and they find out they find out about this ploy. And the ants kind of rise up, and then they're like, "We outnumber you, and you. The truth is that you need us. We mm. don't need you, right?" And Oh yeah, because a hopper needs them to provide food for them. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. And I was I watched this, you know. Obviously, you know, when you're a little person, you're not thinking like that deep, right? <laughs> but like <laughs> me, I'm thinking like that really is kind of what women and men are. I mean, like they need us, and so they're not they're not like dumb men. Although you know, some are questionable. Oh, we had an experience with one yesterday. <laughs> it was special. <laughs> you know, most men. I have a whole theory about men. Uh, I'm going to share this with you real quick, but (laughs) I'm going to share this with you real quick because I feel like this is the group platform and you guys can tell me what you think. I have a theory that all men stop growing emotionally at 13 years old. Some Mm. make it to being 16, but most men are 13 year olds at heart. They get excited about Legos. They get excited about cars and they're like, ooh, boobs. Ah, you know, as a 13 year old, if you speak to us. Can I tell you from my last day who was literally like, ooh, boobs and big ones. Yes. Yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah, but th- because that's a th- if you hang out with a thirteen-year-old, yeah, that and that's not to bash men in any way. I mean, I'm married to a wonderful man who stopped growing up at sixteen. I always tell him that, um, like Daniel Larusa from the Karate Kid. That's who he is at heart. But it's like, oh, if you hang out with a thirteen-year-old, that really is men. My my dad, I'm like, you're thirteen at heart. Like you're just big macho guy, but like whatever excites a thirteen-year-old excites like a grown man and if you think about like trying to rationalize with a 13 year old has a very short attention span Mm -hmm. this is why men don't like to listen to women that's what men are always like you women just talk so much like why do you guys just talk and talk it's not that it's just that you just you're a 13 year old guy who doesn't get it anyway i have a sidetracked so when um bucks life so i and that's sort of like how it is right like in this very macho culture of even in Mexico, I realized that it really is the women who really hold it together in their home and in in the kitchen. I mean, if you look at what mole is and the amount of work it goes into it, and you, you were talking about how your mom loves mole, it's a communal experience, but yeah. it's all women. And it's all women who have that power, that knowledge. You don't see men in the kitchen making this. So mm-hmm. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. So my dad is an Italian Jew, American Italian Jew. And my mom is the youngest of six, so she never learned to cook because she always had an older sister to cook for her, right? My dad is the one who makes the mole. My grandma taught him. My dad's the one oh. who stuffs chorizo. My white dad with his, like, huaraches 
so down for being brown, even though he's not. Even though he doesn't speak Spanish. He speaks no Spanish. <laughs> In fact, I remember going to, um, there used to be a carniceria in our neighborhood when I was growing up. Actually, it's still there. It's called La Michoacana in Paramount. Mm-hmm. And my dad would go and he would buy the tripas to be able to stuff chorizo. And him and my tío had gone wild boar hunting. They killed a boar and they were going to make chorizo. And my grandma showed him how to like prepare the meat. And, he gets, and where was your mom in this point? You know, supervising from the kitchen. She's the taster. But my white dad, you know, takes me with him to uh, the company city. And the guy behind the counter goes, oh, hello, my friend. Hello, my friend. How can I help you, my friend? And my dad's like, dos tripas. Libras de tripas. Por favor. And he said it so confidently. And the guy was like, oh, my friend, what are you going to do with this? And he's like... I'm going to make chorizo. And he just looked at my dad and he looked at me and I'm so embarrassed. Like, oh my gosh, dad, your accent's so horrible. He's like, I'll also take a May loan for the road. (laughs) He tries, right? But my dad is the one who makes the mole. And he has this big cast iron pot. It's a Lake Crusade pot. And my grandma taught him. Oh, yes. But he cooks everything in the cast iron. He's obsessed with it and the flavors. Mm -hmm. And he always talks about like, it's got a stick and then you have your grits and then it's got a release and you're making your stock. My grandma taught him how to make the mole for the red pork mole. And my dad measures just like my grandma. So my grandma, her hands are very big and she doesn't measure using spoon, measuring spoons and cups. She puts everything in her hand and she pokes it with her finger and she goes, I see the sal. I see the comino. I see the ajo, right? She puts it in her hand and that's how she measures. And my dad does the same thing. And so now that I'm growing up, you know, we've had some family illnesses this last year, cancer, some other scary things. And I thought, oh my God, if something happens to my tias and my mom and my grandma, none of these recipes are recorded. None of us, I don't know how to make it because my hand is not the same size as my grandma. I need her to like put it in her hand and then put it in mine and then try it in all the measuring spoons because I don't know how much that is, right? And those are the things that we keep with us. But I always think it's funny that it's my, because my dad's the cook, but how much like my dad, you know, came from a home that was divorced and he loved that my mom had this big family that Mm -hmm. was always there. Family was so important to him and how much food truly does symbolize how we connect with each other and how we embrace these things with each other. And especially I think for immigrant families, I remember my mom telling us growing up, she said, we came to this country with nothing. All we had was each other. And so we do Sunday family dinner and you are not allowed to miss it under any circumstances. That's like not a thing you miss. To this day, we do Sunday family dinner every weekend and you don't miss it. It is all, you know, my mom says it's all that we have at the end of the day. It's it's very true. I mean, I think that's one of the things that really differentiates us. Well, maybe not some differentiates, but one of the things that I really, I just really like love and I'm so grateful for is how close I am to my brother and my sisters, our siblings, the four of us. And my parents moved back. They live in Oaxaca now, so they don't live with us. But the four of us are so close. And uh, to us, it's just such a normal thing. You know, I mean, I see them every single day. We have lunch with each other every single day. And sometimes I forget that that's not the norm, you know, especially um, in in this country, just because everyone like moves and a certain time, you know, a kid moves away from college and then they get a job. So you might have a sister in Chicago or another sister in New York, or you live in California. Maybe your, your, your sister lives in San Diego. So it's a, it's a different, it's a different culture. You know, Mexico, everyone lives under the same roof until they get married. And even then you live really close. And like you say, every Sunday, it's like, 
family day because in Mexico, in Oaxaca anyway, everything is closed on Sunday. Yeah. So you really have nothing to do but to be with family. It's almost like you have no choice. And I remember every Sunday we used to drive to Mitla where my mom's from where I was born, which is like about 50 minute drive. And every single Sunday we used to drive to my grandma's house without yep. missing one Sunday. It was every single Sunday. And, you know, I think about how my son's going to grow up and it's he won't have that. But all I can give him is to be able to be close to his to his cousins, to his siblings, and to us. And that time that we spend at a dinner table, to us, it's it's sacred. And and it's really what we want to recreate at the restaurant. And what's what really what makes me the happiest when I see huge families and at my, my restaurant, like you say, you know, like the fact that you tell me that your mom is a fan of my mole, that makes me incredibly happy and incredibly grateful because I'm fulfilling my purpose. I'm fulfilling the purpose of your mom taking you as a little girl so you know what mole is supposed to taste like. And to see, you know, right now, the reality is a lot of children aren't able to go back to Mexico to taste mole and to taste these dishes. A lot of these families can't either want afford or, you know, really go because of their legal status. They can't leave the country. So, which is scarier and scarier in today's uh unknown circumstances with the immigration bans mm-hmm. and uh, the ice raids that are happening. It's it's some scary times that we're living in. And how is that affecting the way that you're raising your kids? Uh, I have one son. He's going to be two uh, very soon. So he's, he's very young. Um, you know, the only thing that's changed that's uh, that I've not, that I could really notice a shift in my heart was in his, in his room, we have a huge mural and that my friend made of the United States and the world, really. It's like a huge mural of the world in his room. But we, in in America, what we did was put like certain things around it. So we can say like, this is where, you know, we have like the restaurant there and we have um, like a picture of Johnny Cash and Elvis mm. Presley and like Nirvana. And we have like Texas with barbecue. So like little things around his room that he he's able to see. And we have a picture of Obama and we had a picture of the White House and um, I was, it was so weird because every night we'd go, we would go to his mural and say like, good night, you know, good night, Obama, good night, mm, you know, this. Yeah. And then when things changed, shifted, I like stopped doing that because I was like, mm, I think you're good to know about your president for the next four years. I think we'll like catch <laughs> up. At the next one. We'll catch up on the we'll next one. We'll catch up in four years. <laughs> we'll catch up. We'll go back to this wall in four years. It, it, it was like yeah. such, a, such a weird thing because I looked at the White House that's right there and I lost respect for it. I mean, I just lost yeah. respect for that image that I had. And, you know, I want him to feel so proud yeah. of being American and so proud of the history that we put and the diversity that we put in this beautiful mural for my son. And I was like... That's so weird that like in a day, I just stopped. How you view your feminism, has it evolved as you've, like since raising a son or raising your son now, has it changed the way that you view feminism? Changed the view. And I'll tell you why. Gloria, the reason I bring this up, Gloria Steinem has this incredible quote and it's, we've begun to raise daughters more like sons, but few have the courage to raise our sons more like daughters. And to me, you sound like the strong matriarch of your family. Mm-hmm. And has that changed how you how you raise your son in that light? I think that being true to our feminine essence and masculine essence is really important in our lives. Um, that I've come to learn quite recently. And 
being a strong woman doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be filled with this masculine energy, right? Ooh, I love that. Um, you know, masculine energy belongs to the men and we need to respect that and be okay with it. But understand that our feminine energy is very, very powerful. And we need to understand that only it's only really only feminine power that can penetrate to masculine power. And masculine mm. masculine energy can't really penetrate to feminine through femininity. So we need to be able to embrace the fact that male energy belongs to the men, but we need to embrace and really protect our feminine energy and not get caught up in like, we need to be strong women. And we do, but strong feminine women. It's not like you you want to be weak and it's so sad. And it, it, every time someone says like, well, femininity, it's like weak and it's not, it's like the opposite. It's more powerful than men, Yeah, but it's different. And we just need to be able to embrace it. So with my son, you know, I, I, I want to show him that femininity inside of me because I need him to understand that, you know, mommy is, you know, not that mommy's a woman and she needs to be at home, nothing like that, because obviously I'm not, <laughs> we work all the time, but it's more like I need him to be nurtured. And give him that part of me, that right. that that mother nurturing, um, or like teaching him how to be nurturing. Yeah, you know, through through that example, but also show him to be, you know, to embrace his 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 male energy because also what happens a, a lot of times right now, a, a lot of women tend to demasculate men, you know, and and we can't do that. We can't break balls. We can't break their balls. We can't we can't be part of the masculating men. You know. Have you read Hannah Rosen's The End of Men and the Rise of Women? I have not. Super good. So uh, Hannah Rosen does the Double X blog for Slate. Um, fabulous author. And this book that she wrote is called The End of Men, which most people think is like a man-hating like manifesto, but it's actually not. It very much talks about how in women wanting to become the men that we wish we had in our lives, how much we emasculate men. And then we actually self-loathe and self-resent because we're not getting what we want, which like you said, is we want to be able to feel secure and safe in our own feminine energy and feel like we have this compliment to us. By emasculating men, not only do we see results where men don't know how to rise back? We are also shaming to men and not allowing them to tap into their own feminine energy because we sit and we say, oh, that's weakness. Like you said, mm -hmm. it's too often described as weakness. And then men getting, you know, they kind of get stuck in this no-win situation of, you know, they say, okay, tell me to be softer. I'm, you know, I need to be softer. They become softer and we go, well, that wasn't man enough. You need to man up. And even the phrases like saying to somebody, you need to man up is so shaming. Mm -hmm. And we we change the narratives of how we speak to other women, but we don't do that with men. Similarly, a great blog, if you're familiar, The Good Men Project has done a fantastic conversation of really curating content of what it means to be a good man, quote unquote, and exploring this this more feminine energy, feminine and masculine energy, but also existing and navigating in the world today that is not shaming to either men or women and better creates balance and communication together. Yeah. Well, one of the issues and problems with the masculine-feminine dichotomy is that we have like masculinity set up as like the mode of being like you have to be masculine in order to be strong. And that's not necessarily true. It needs to be somewhere in the middle of both for both people, I think, or both genders or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think also a lot of the, a lot of the you know, what we were talking about in masculine, it just comes from control, right? I think women, um, and I just people in general, I think or certain people just like to have to be in control of things. They want to 
control and say like, I want you to do this and I want you to do that and like be this and be that and blah, blah, blah. And you, you, you need to allow people to grow on their own and be their own and, mm. you know, kind of yeah. be in their essence. There's nothing you know? more limiting today than traditional gender roles and kind of forcing people into those boxes, especially when they don't necessarily identify with them. In my family, my mom was always, I mean, my mom always worked. My dad always worked, but I knew that my mom was always doing more. And she was always that one that was out there and like still at home. And she, you know, like we always know that our mothers are, they're the boss. Even no matter how much our dads yeah. say that they're the boss. Like I mean, my mom you have is that, the boss. Like, that you have that one line that says like behind every great man. Who's a stronger there's woman. A, there's like a, a big woman, but a big woman, a strong woman, a good woman, a great woman. But you don't, you don't hear the other one that, you know. That's not like a common say that men that behind every great woman, there's a, a great man. I disagree. I, mean? I think that I mean there there always yeah, I, is. Yeah, there always, there is. always is. It goes both ways. But, no, but there I always think is. That, but the, but like there's there isn't that like like that that like there isn't that. There's been lots of common, things in the news um, about, uh, especially it was after the Olympics. I forget who it was won some medal, and they were like her husband or the wife of this person won this medal and they didn't even mention her. And basically a lot of the things that were going on were crediting men with the accomplishments of their wives or girlfriends or women. Well, I I hear what you're saying, Yvette. I also hear what you're saying, Bericia. And I think about different times in my lives and relationships are the place where you either find yourself or lose yourself. That is the bottom line. And I think of the relationships I've had in my adult life. And I can honestly say only one of them was the place where I found myself. I grew tremendously in that relationship. I am doing many of the things that I'm doing today because I felt supported in that relationship. It's not one that I'm in now anymore, but it is someone who's still in my life. And I can honestly say like behind whatever greatness this is today, I had so much support there where if I can turn and look at a specific thing, it's because he saw potential in me that I didn't even know that I had professionally and was the one who kept encouraging saying, why are you doing this, Audrey? Look what is unfolding in front of you you know, there is something here. Go for it. Take it. Like, you don't have to be scared. I'm supportive of no matter what happens. And I truly felt not just supported, um, but emotionally carried that no matter what happened, it was going to be okay. And that was a very transformational relationship for me. I've had one major relationship since then. And it was supportive, but I didn't feel like it was the place where I came alive. And I also felt like to make that second relationship work, the one after, I genuinely felt like I had to shrink to fit a little bit. Like it was okay that I did great as long as I didn't do that great. Didn't do that great, right? Right. I think, I think what I was trying to say was that saying is not as common as the first saying. Like the saying that behind in every great man, there's a there's a strong woman. Um, the reverse, the reverse of, of that uh, of that saying isn't as common. I mean, of course, in a relationship, you need someone to support you. I mean, I could not even be doing half of the things I'm doing today without the support of my husband. I mean, my husband has really take like holds it down because with everything I have going on in my life, with all the businesses that we have, like it's, if I didn't have a man that could support me and to uplift me. A true partner. And yeah, a a partner, it it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I always think about Hillary Clinton and how no matter what it is that she has accomplished on her own, they always want to give the credit to Bill Clinton or they always want to use that against her in like whatever that 
whatever his that transgressions have been. Mm-hmm. And yeah, same thing with Michelle Obama. Nobody, she's a lawyer. She like went to two Ivy League universities and like no one really sees her as anything. I mean, more so now, like with her, I feel like people appreciate her and see that, but People are always like, oh, you know, stay with your man and he'll take you to the top. It's like she was already at the top. They met at Harvard. <laughs> like They met at Harvard. Did you and see the movie of them, of their love life? I didn't, but it looks so cute. Yeah, but you I mean, actually went strong. to the White House. I did. How was I that? Did. Incredible. I mean, I, I mean, the moment I met Obama, I was like, oh, my God, I would I'd die. See, like, I could see why you won. <laughs> I can see why you're the president. I mean, it's the, it's just walking into a room. Is he super charismatic? Oh, it's like beyond charismatic. I mean, he's tall, dark, and handsome. Yeah. And he's just, I mean, beyond smart. I mean, he, you know, you can just look at him in his eyes and you can just tell he cares, which is rare to find in a politician. Yeah. And to be able to kind of be a witness of that. I felt like, okay, cool. Like, we're going to be okay in this country. Yeah. You know, like, okay, cool. Like, what did you guys talk cool. about? So we went because I went, I was invited to talk about um, a little, it was when immigration reform was trying to be, uh, pass. Uh, it was a few years ago, three, four years ago. Um, and it was just really a showcase of entrepreneurs and um, immigrant entrepreneurs to really showcase the fact that we create jobs. We don't really take away jobs. A lot right. of anything that's a misconception, I mean... There's so many misconceptions, but one of the major ones, it's like, well, you know, these immigrants are coming and they're taking our jobs. Well, why don't you focus on all the immigrants that are creating billions of dollars in, right. in, in revenue and in and, and providing jobs, you know, and providing employment and really contributing to this economy and the thriving of, of the American economy. So it was really a roundtable surrounding that. And I met incredible people. How did you get selected for that? You know, I just received a phone call literally like on a Friday and I was on a plane on a Monday. That's crazy. Yeah. Did you guys ever see that? Um, it was an article and it was also an uh, audio interview on NPR. I'll have to dig it up. NPR did a piece on how through every great every recession we've had in American history, coming out of the recession, our economy only improves in cities or it starts to improve in cities where there are more immigrant uh, business owners mm-hmm. than in cities where there are not because of the tenacity and the appreciativeness of this idea of the American dream and having struggled to come here and make something out of nothing in this country. And in fact, in our greatest times, truly, um, it's our immigrant business owners that actually drive the backbone of our American economy. And that's what uh, that's what Garcetti was saying when he was on CNN, I believe, about how the reason why LA has been able to bounce back and create jobs and having this like giant economic boom right now is due to the immigrants and all the people who have come here and who make the city great and who make America quote unquote great again. <laughs> to borrow the phrase. <laughs> to borrow the phrase and to repurpose retake it. that phrase. Yeah, yes. we're taking it back. I'm taking back make America great yeah. again. Make it brown again. How about that? Uh, well, okay. <laughs> Speaking of brown, this is Brown Girls Rising. Bricia, do you identify as a brown girl rising? And what does that mean to you? <sighs> I mean, yes, I identify as a brown girl. I'm brown girl. <laughs> um, I'm brown. Everybody if I pulls out their arms all, to compare. <laughs> and if I was, I'd probably tan, you know. For as much as we talk about 
us being accepted here in America, like I wish we were accepted in Mexico. <laughs> yes, people from Oaxaca, very people different. from the South. Like um, I'm from Oaxaca. I come from an indigenous background. Um, you know, my parents' first language was Zapotec, so we are, you know, indigenous. And it's going down in Oaxaca right now. Um, it's always going down in Oaxaca. It's always going down in Oaxaca. <laughs> but it's uh, really like not having that appreciation of one culture in your own country. Yeah, that that is. That, that's that's a whole different level that's of something pain. really striking to me is that people here in the United States have this kind of like I guess we're having this like indigenous resurgence where we're like recognizing it and we're talking about it and it's like it's out there it's trendy it's trendy right now it's to talk about the, the indigenous population and their plight and everything that they've gone through and I feel like Latinos who are over here are like claiming that and they're like yeah you know like we're brown we're indigenous we're proud Mexicans like were all of those things, but in Mexico, not the case. Oh no, I don't know. When, I don't know when that's gonna. I mean, I think that you know the world's smaller, and there's you know there's more people for people to connect and information. So you know, I know it'll change. Also, there's a good amount of people who, uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, a lot of Mexicans are going back, and they have kids who were born here. And I remember seeing something about in Vice about that. The kids who were born in the United States who were like you know. 12, 13, and then they moved to Mexico. Oh, I feel, I mean, that's horrible. And they don't speak Spanish. No, I mean, Mexico is such a, it's very, it's a very elitist, it's a very, very elitist country, very, very racist. Mm. And it's almost like America in the 60s, kind of. I mean, like, like, in some areas, it really is bad, like, to where they look at you and like, you're from Oaxaca or like, you know, it's, it's really bad. And, you know, that, that hurts so much. And, you know, I, when I was young and I moved here, I, I went to, I, I went, I came from Oaxaca and then moved to LA and I, my parents sent me to, parents sent us to um, a predominantly white uh, school. We went to Palisades. Preach, girl. By the beach. And he did it because he, you know, he's like as far away as from the Cholos as possible. Like, you know, you're not going to end up pregnant. Like, because oh was my like, gosh, my that dad's. was my mom's line. Do not come. She literally said to me. In high school, do not be a Mexican statistic. Do not come home pregnant and drop out of school. I got the tattoo. There was a big, there was a big drama about that. But she literally said, "I don't care what happens, but you will not come home pregnant." Yeah. So it was. So my parents, you know, they they would drive an hour every day to pick us up, an hour every day to drop us off. Uh, and I'm very thankful. But you know, when when I when I I remember the first years when I when I attended a school. I was just like, I couldn't believe I was like so infatuated by like all these blue eyed, blonde eyed girls. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like, it's like, they're like real Barbies. It's like goals because you're like, oh my God, like that's so beautiful. And that's what we're supposed well, to be. Yeah, and that's well, all you and see. And also when, when you live in Mexico, all you see in novelas is right. like that, mm-hmm. you know, like you never, you never see yourself in a novela unless you're the maid. So it's and that's true. barely they're starting to put brown maids because until <laughs> until recently it was uh, Thalia who was the maid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> She's kind of brown. She is not brown. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that you know, moving in out, and I was like, wow, oh my gosh, like, I, like these are like real Barbies. So I just kind of wanted to assimilate as as much as possible. You know, that's the truth. I, I wanted to look like them. I wanted to be like them. Until I think I didn't really start embracing my, you know, brownness until, wait, you know, high school. And 
I realized like I, I went to Oaxaca after high school and I spent a summer there and I was walking the streets and I realized how beautiful Oaxaca is. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't. And it was only because I was taken out of it that when I was put back in it, I just sort of had this like kind of shift in my life where I just saw the beauty everywhere and the just authenticity that can be replicated. I mean, like you can't buy authenticity. You can't buy culture. You can't buy, you can't recreate heritage. And there's something to be said about being able to see yourself like everybody else and not be that one person that sticks out because that's what I was in my high school. There Mm -hmm. was maybe like two black kids in my school and maybe like a handful of Latinos. And I remember the when I started making friends that looked like me, which was like after high school, like in college. And I remember being at a party and I was with my friend Maggie and Maggie was like red hair and like green eyes and like she stuck out so bad and people, I remember there was a moment when someone was like, oh, the white girl over there. And I was like, oh yeah, because everyone here is brown. Oh, I'm still the white girl. (laughs) Everyone here is brown and I'm like, and I'm just like everybody else. And that was like the first time in my life that I was just like everybody else. And it wasn't like I was the other. It was like, oh, someone else is that for once. I'm like, that's cool. And I imagine that that's what it's like going back to to yeah, Mexico, to where you're I, yeah from. it was just sort of like I and I was able to see just how beautiful it is and and I came back and during college I just really embraced I just I became president of the Latina Association in my college nice and I was just like really just claiming where I was from like I'm from Oaxaca and if you call me in India good for you I mean that's what you think you know I love my braids I, I, I love that I love that's being a slur. from Oaxaca. yeah it is that's what I it is in Mexico and that's yeah. and, and that's where the things that people don't like to talk about and I always talk about it because it's the truth and we have to talk about the truth and people who are go to Mexico need, and who live there need to be a little more you know need to change those things and you need to start embracing the beauty of culture I mean I think even I mean it's changing like now my skull is like so cool right like oh yeah it's like, trendy gosh, now. like you know 20 we have years hipster ago. bars now that yeah. only have yeah. a million and one different like kinds. do you know what mezcal is so good. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's and it's like 20 years ago, if you go to Mexico, not Mexico City, it's like infested with mezcal. But 20 years ago, I used to go to Mexico City and you talk, you talk about mezcal and it was like, ugh, that's like the poor people's drink. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, and so, so I, I think what happens is like, you know, we, we moved here and then I started seeing how much other cultures were embracing my culture. Mm-hmm. And that made me also kind of wake up and be like, yeah, I'm worth something. Like, yeah, like I'm cool. Yeah. Like being from Oaxaca is cool. Like, yeah. Forget all those other people. My uh, ex-husband was from Colombia. Mm-hmm. And I remember when his family came over from Colombia, they were like talking crap to each other. And somebody was like, oh, no seas indio. Or like, tan indio. And I was like, <gasps> And like, that's just something they say to each other. Like, don't be stupid. Like, don't be an educated. I was like, that is so incredibly offensive. Yeah. You know what? That's what they call my mom. So no. my mom's the of six. My grandma, blonde hair, blue eyes, right? Um, all my tias, very light, freckled, light eyes. And my mom is the only dark one. Welcome to my life. Yeah. <laughs> my poor mom. Dark. Everybody's very tall. Like all my tias are oh, like your mom's pushing. littler. Yeah. My mom's like 5'9", but all my tias are pushing six feet with light hair, light eyes. We call them the freakishly tall, like, 
light Mexicans. Um, but you guys are from Nayeti. My mom's from Nayeti. Yeah. yeah. They're all light skinned. Mm-hmm. They're light skinned out there. Yeah. yeah the north, it's, you know, Mexico really is divided into almost two countries, really, the north and the south. Right. Um, the south being, the, you know, a lot of, a lot of like places in Oaxaca was, were never conquered by, by the Spanish or the French. So, you know, in, you know, you take Yucatan, really, that's like a whole other country in itself because it's yeah. more, more Mayan. It's not even Zapotec. So, you know, they have a, they have their own cultures and traditions that, haven't been changed, you know, they're, they're very attached to them. You know, there's places in Oaxaca you can go, they still can't even speak Spanish. I'm obsessed, I'm obsessed with Oaxaca. I don't know what it is. Like my family's not even from there. <laughs> my dad the is the cheese. Fr- yeah. It's my, the best. Yes. But like my dad is from Chihuahua, Parral. Mm-hmm. And like, so we have no, I don't think we have any ties to Oaxaca, but like, I remember seeing the, the dresses and the hoopil mm-hmm. and like the necklaces and like, I'm obsessed it's so beautiful. I mean, it's the culture beautiful. is so beautiful. It's 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 there's so it's so rich. And again, like when you're there, when you live there, I mean, for me, I can only speak about my experience. Um, I can't speak for every other people's experiences. But for me, what happened is like I live there. I know, like I my my grandma lives in the town called Mitla, which is an, has an architectural sacred site. So like that was my backyard. You know, people talk about visiting pyramids. Like it's I grew, crazy. like that was where I grew up. And to me was like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, that's sort of like an architectural site, whatever. Like, so I, I didn't know. I, it was sort of like every day. So you have it every day. You don't appreciate it. And I think, and, and I'm very thankful that I was able to move here and then go back and just really feel more. And also feel like as much as the flaws that this country has, I think it's a very safe space um, for me to to be proud of being brown you know, it's still, it, it's, I wouldn't be, I don't think like when I grew up in Mexico City, I would be able to say like, yeah, I'm from Oaxaca and like, yes. And like, wow. Yeah. You know, I think that came because I lived here and, and also, you know, I live in LA, so it's very different. You know, I live in a very cultural diverse city. I grew up in Koreatown, Culver City, Mid City. So I was around people from all different cultures. So maybe my experience is really unfair, but you know, I, I don't think I would have gone that multiculturality in Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to ask a little bit, Patricia, you are such a leader in your community, both through the restaurant and and who you are just in general as a person, the diversity that you show, even just through your social media, right? I mean, it's got such a wide breadth of experiences. How has your community evolved and as the popularity of your restaurant, your other businesses and your presence has grown and with today's current political environment, how has it changed the way that uh, you lead within your community? Well, you know, I I can only do as little or as much as one person can do, you know, Uh, for the um, a day without an immigrant, we closed our restaurant, we closed for business, which was Mm, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I saw that. And, you know, it was sort of like a no-brainer for us. It was right. like, well, that's what we're going to do, you know. And, you know, things of that sort being there for anybody that leads the teams with us and, you know, works with us. It's just being there and just not being afraid. I think it's it's the most number one. I think that a lot of us can get really caught up in fear. And that's not to say not to be uh, aware of what's going on. I'm very right. aware of what's going on and I understand what can happen. But, you know, being prepared and being able to plan for things. Uh, and I think like uh, a lot of people 
what happens with us, with a lot of us, it's we think like that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. That can never happen. That won't happen. And I've learned that, you know, in the past year, a lot of things that were said weren't going to happen have happened. So yeah. I'm, what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to plan for things. And yeah. if they don't happen, awesome. But if they do, I'm more at ease with myself and I'm not stressed out about anything. Right. And we need to learn how to be proactive instead of being reactive. So what can we proactively do to change the situation today without just reacting to news and reacting to things? Be at the be be like five steps ahead of the game, you know, always be ahead and thinking, okay, if that can happen, what being prepared, you know, if if you know family members who are not of legal status in this country, okay, well, what can they do to if something happens, their family is taken care of? You know, is there any some sort of insurance you can get or is there anything, any, you know, savings you can set aside? Like resources. resources. What are the directory yeah. of resources yeah. to who be do informed? I yeah, who do I call? You know, I mean, honestly, like some of us aren't even prepared for an earthquake. I mean, do yeah. any of you guys have a survival kit in the back of your cars? I have a first aid kit. Do you have anything in your car? Well, I technically don't have a car she anymore a car. because I'm well, in your apartment? like super metro friendly. Um no, I mean, I I actually just got a pair of flats because I <laughs> can't walk in heels all the time. Well, no, but, you know, I mean, like, I, you know, I'm a non-practical yeah, person. ready to run. Yeah, but a lot of people don't even, <laughs> aren't my even prepared for that. Like, you know, I mean, and, and I think that because of what happened, I became, like, obsessed with being prepared. Like, I'm mm. in my house, like, I have, like... I have like food for a month. I have water. Oh, my parents are like that too. Well, you know that, and and it's it's more about again being prepared for it. You know, make sure your insurances are 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 all in order. Yeah. Do you have you know you know renters insurance like life insurance? Or even as a Latino right now, I feel like it's important because I was hearing about some people who just kind of got swept up with ICE and they hold them. And they're like, okay, we'll prove that you're American. And they're like, okay, well, I don't have my birth certificate kit on me. Like, you have to go to the courthouse and order it and wait for it. It's like, have your birth certificate. At the very yeah. least, have Basic a copy things. of that. Yeah. Right. So, in, in, and I think, uh, again, it's things that people don't think about because they're like, well, right. what am I going to use it for? Right? Yeah. But I think we're living in a time where we need to start being prepared and be proactive to things to where you have to have your life in order in case anything happens. Yeah, it's a good time for that. And if you have dual citizenship, get your Mexican passport. <laughs> right? I want to yeah. get my dual citizenship, but mine would be like Chilean. I don't have any family in Chile. I mean, Mexico. Mm. But um, so... Is your mom Mexican? My mom's Chilean. Okay. My dad is Mexican. But all of his family already came over here. If so we, then you would get Chilean. Yeah. If we do have family from Mexico, I don't know who they are or where they're at. And um, all of my dad's family that was here, like, they've passed already. So it's just us over here, mm. which has been kind of sucky. Because you guys are always talking about, oh, my family and hanging out and doing dinner and breakfast and, like, all these get-togethers. Like, I never got to have any of that. Everyone is so far away. It's just us out here. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you what we did in our family, my mom's side. My dad's side of the family is they're white. They just like dispersed all over the country and they send like a holiday newsletter. They're like, we saw it on Facebook. A newsletter? Yeah, I have an uncle that sends a newsletter <laughs> in the mail. Now he posts it on Facebook every year. He doesn't, he doesn't even send it anymore. Just tag. They're all, yeah, that's a <laughs> whole other thing. Fun. Can you imagine yeah. if we did a Mexican newsletter, how fun that would be? Oh my gosh, ours would be super dramatic. So my mom's <laughs> yeah. side, right? Managed it would be to like full of cheese, man. Well, even now, that I had to unfriend my tias on Facebook because they would text my mom and be like, 
pues Laudry, Laudry. 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 Anda saliendo, mira, siempre trae su vino ahí en su Facebook, ahí. Everything, always with that <laughs> in su face. In su Facebook, in the Snappy Chat. I hear, I hear oh. cheesement about myself that has originated from my mother. And then my cousin in Sweden tells me because her dad told her. And they're like, they're saying <gasps> That's this like about my, you. What I love is how my mom knows more about my friends than me. <laughs> oh, my mom does that too. That's what I know. Like my mom will come, like she just was recently here. And she's like, hey, so did you? So like so-and-so, she was like out there like doing, is she doing this now? And I'm like, who are you talking about, mom? So-and-so. And I'm like, what? When? Her social Look. stalkers. And I was like, yeah, mom, <laughs> Don't stalk my friends. Oh my gosh. My mom does that too, mainly because she knows that I hide things from her. So she's just trying to see if I pop up. But my tías and my tíos, what they did is they all bought lots next door to each other and built front house, back houses. And I literally have tíos and tías that live next door to each other. Or they all bought on the same street, so everyone's there. That's so That's it's funny. not just that like you a get dream come true for oh me my and my siblings. My mom, when the house next door was for sale, hija, we could tear down the wall between us. Imagínate, a big property right here, and I was oh like, God. "Oh my god, I'm gonna die, mom! I have to get like <laughs> far away from you." Or as I like to tell her. Um, when I first moved downtown, my mom hates downtown because it, she gets overwhelmed by the run, by the one-way streets. And she was like, you did this on purpose because you know that I can't drive there. And I was like, yes, I totally <laughs> did. Now it's only on my terms. No, my mom loves downtown. She's like, it reminds me of Santiago because Santiago is like the capital city in Chile. And it's very like very metropolitan and also like very European looking. Not that it's European looking down here, but she likes big cities and mm -hmm. she likes being around lots of big families. But right. it's like I always felt bad that. We were so far away, and it's so expensive to fly to Chile. Yeah, <laughs> it's so expensive, and of it all never the goes down. Of all the countries, why that one? Take I have an uncle trip. in Brazil, and it's a little cheaper. Take a road trip, girl. You don't got no you kids. Know. You ain't got no. You know, you ain't got nothing tying you down. Yeah. And now Believe I'm afraid. To, honestly, I'm afraid to go because I'm afraid that I'm not going to get back in. I'm really <laughs> true. I remember people. we went on a school trip to San San Felipe. To go build yeah. a school with, you know, Baja. all of my all of my white classmates. And for some reason, they did not think to see if the people spoke any English. I was the only person on the trip who spoke any Spanish. I had to translate the entire time. And then I remember coming back. They stop us at the border and they get on the bus, you know, like the federales with their guns. And they try to act like they weren't coming for me but they like came over right to me they're like this one this one is not the like curly the hair so one of these things is not like the others <laughs> and they were like uh can we see your birth certificate and i was like oh really i grew up with the opposite experience really? though um you know my mom was the youngest when they came here so she went to school here but my aunts and uncles like we do translation stuff. Mm. Uh, I have an uncle that is going through some medical things. And my mom calls me, or one of my tias, uh, she calls me la abogada de, del pueblo. Like, I fill out everyone's paperwork. And because I'm used to, like, executing and writing and redlining contracts for work, I'm always the one that's like, no, that's not right. I'm, like, family advocate over here. Despite yeah. the fact that all my cousins went to college here in the U.S. and were born here, like well you're just a, also aggressive i am very and aggressive so they're like audrey person. will get this done <laughs> like when someone messes with me i'm like oh i'm gonna tell audrey see you're gonna get it <laughs> that's what my dad <laughs> just, says just wait till i tell audrey that's what my dad says he goes don't make me call my daughter <laughs> oh my god you don't want me to call my daughter <laughs> when we were getting ready for remember when we were at control collective for the conference yes we were going 
We were backing up the Hold truck. On, let's let's back up for a second for our audience. We held the first Worthy Women oh, yeah. National Conference in November. It was a three day conference, and the third day was, was it the third day with Amber Rose. It was at yeah Control Collective with Amber Rose. We were setting up, putting everything in there. We had your dad in his giant truck with all of our stuff in it. We had to come drop it off ahead of time, and there was this uh, alley that we had to go down. And the guy didn't want to let us go down the alley because they were filming. And we were like, it's literally 20 feet. Can we please just back up? And he was like, no, you have to go all the way around the block. And Audrey got out of the van. (laughs) (laughs) And let me tell you, Audrey got out of the van. She went over to him and she was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, I have no idea what was said, but I Snapchatted it. And he was arguing with me in English. And I was like, yo, bro, I speak Spanish. And he was... He was talking. He was talking smack, right? Yeah. We can't use profanity on this podcast, but he literally, um, he was, he made a derogatory um, reference to me in Spanish, and I was like, "Oh hell no! Yeah. I speak Spanish." She Hold lo- on. So I got out of the car. She lost her damn mind. I got all up. Did in you his get face. it done though? No, we no. didn't have to go. <laughs> <down>. <laughs> we, we had, had to, to go, go around. around. <laughs> but it was a scene. And then we saw yeah. him the next day for the actual oh, event. Oh, and he was like, oh, hi. Like, and I was like, so, don't say hi to me. Yeah. I was mad. She was like, I know who you who employs you. I I'm going to tell so him. I actually knew the property owner uh, for the building that <laughs> he was doing Needless to say, you were not channeling your feminine energy then. Oh, let me assure you, there was an email written. I no, was, that was mad. It was bold and italicized. Yeah, that's when... That was definitely Audrey's femininity. <laughs> but I get it done, even when I'm... I don't think that femininity is, like, not aggressive. It can be. I think, again, it depends what you're trying to achieve. You know what I've learned? What I've, ter- what I've learned recently uh, was about how, you know, masculine energy is very aggressive. Feminine energy is more loving, so let's go back to that to that to I that could situation. Not be for that man. And if if sometimes it's just about a conversation, right? And that's where we, women have that power of going back and forth between male and female. To where if that man, you would have been a little bit more maybe caring, a little bit more like uh, when you yeah. get, get two powers things together clashing, it clashes and nothing gets done. But when you are able to ha- have sort of, I think it penetrates through the. It penetrates with that anger, and you're able to kind of get to 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 that kind of end result with a little bit more of that. I feel oh, like we I tried need, that. But, yeah. but, but, <laughs> but the femininity is it's but that's why the power comes in. No, I, I think agree with you. It, it's more towards like being I need able that to in every other relationship I've ever had. <laughs> well, the running joke though is you know even when people deal with me and Yvette, they're like, oh, Audrey's a nice one, and Yvette because she's like spunky over here. People assume that she's the aggressive one. I'm actually the aggressive one. I'm just good at smoothing things out when I need to. Oh, I'm um, aggressive too, but. I I don't know. People always think that I'm younger than I am. So they kind of like talk to me in a different way. Like I don't know things and they just like, they're very like, you know, accommodating and they want to explain There's things to me. There's nothing people think you're younger, girl. I know. I And you know what? I, We're the same age. I used to always be like, no, like I know things and like, don't talk down to me. And now yeah. I'm just like, you know what? You learn a lot by listening. Of course. I've been embraced my feminine energy and I've just like listened and I'm just like soft about it and I'm like yeah okay and then afterwards I'm like I can't believe they were saying that to me yeah <laughs> but. so okay well speaking of learning things Bricia, I'd love to l- know from you who are some of your feminist icons that you learned much of your wisdom from oh my gosh there there's so many 
um, you know, I'm just going to have to go on the safe route here and talk about my mom mm. because, um, you know, she is a woman that has gone through so much, so, so much through her life. I mean, just since childhood, you know, so I think sometimes we, we forget our, our parents are, you know, human beings. Yeah. We forget that our parents are, or young ones and, you know, that, and they also went through the same stuff that we've gone through. And, you know, my mom grew up in, in a small town with, you know, parents that only knew certain things as well. So that she grew up in a very aggressive household and to, she married my dad when she was 17 years old, had four kids, you know, dealt with a lot of macho sort of situations in her life. And then to see her today, just being so happy and strong and just knowing that, she did everything knowing that her end result was to have her family together and her family happy. And that's not to say that women have to be martyrs, but there's also a lot to say about her being just calculative and also right. knowing like, I know the, I know that the end of this is going to pay off and just knowing when to not say anything and when to really say something. And I think a lot of, traditional women don't get that sort of feminine like like feminist credit that they serve yeah you know um you know maybe because something might have happened in the relationship they may they have stayed they may be looked down upon for that and they're like well you know you need to be different or something but there's a lot to say for women who have really carried their family through through so much about or who put their families yeah, above themselves. Yes, you know, and and I think that sometimes when you talk about feminists and people, I, I think some more often than not those stories get left behind. So I just really wanted to, you know, just pay respect to my mom and just say thank you because, oh man, just everything she's been through. But you know, just to see her now and so happy with her grandchildren and just lax now, you know, like just like she's retired and her big house in Oaxaca, you know, travels back and forth and, and like now just doing what she loves, like really finding what she loves and being able to do it without being unapologetic and not really taking the reins of the house because now she's in charge, <laughs> like for real in charge. And my dad's just <laughs> sort of like, what are we going to do today, Mari? And my mom was like, well, we're going to do this, you know? And so it's <laughs> like, that's so cool. Like that's, 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 that's incredible. Every person we've had on the podcast references their Mother or their aunts or their, <laughs> or their grandmother. Or their grandmother. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And icon. unapologetic. So worthy women is about being unapologetic uh, as to who you are and how you show up in the world. And I think it's kind of exciting because we don't tell people that ahead of time. But to see everybody come to that same point so far, we'll see mm -hmm. how long this streak lasts for everybody listening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really exciting to see that kind of evolve and emerge. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's cool seeing like the common thread that connects everybody, like what we value as women. Bricia, it's been such a pleasure having you. Where can people find you? You know, on social media, it's just Bricia Lopez. Um, on our restaurant, ilovemole.com. Um, tell your mom that we ship our mole everywhere nationwide. We have an online store where we ship our mole, store.ilovemole.com. Um, oh there's so much stuff for, for me to plug. Uh, we also have um, I Love Micheladas. So we have this Michelada mix that um, is distributed all over California. You can have a Michelada in like five seconds. And um, I also host a podcast with my sister and we talk about motherhood and our mom life called Super Mamas Podcast. So yeah, check it out. 
For all of our listeners, we'll be sure to put the links in the summary where you are finding this episode. It has been a pleasure to have you. This has been Brown Girls Rising. Bye. This episode of Brown Girls Rising was brought to you by Nylon Español and recorded at Maker City LA in sunny downtown Los Angeles. We hope it's inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.